0: Amen. Wonderful. All right. I'm going to do something that I have never done in a meeting like this. And I am going to give you a test before we get started. (laughs) So, do our uh, ushers have the test? I would like you to pass out these tests. And don't start anything until I can give you some instructions. But if you would, go ahead and start passing out these tests right now. This is, a, this is what you get for coming to a Bible college. <laughs> We're giving you a pop quiz. And I, I'm really excited about this. I think it's going to help you. And I know that when I pass things out at our Bible college that people quit listening to me and they go to reading and thinking and they lose track. Don't do that. Amen. You know, we need more people passing out these tests. At the rate we're going, this is going to take forever. <laughs> Praise God. This test is going to need just a little bit of explanation. You know, I don't know if they got the internet uh, working, but if you are watching by the internet, if it is working, then, uh, and it will be taped, so people may be taking this later. I'm going to give all of these questions, and so you could, if you're watching this later, you could be taking this test too. So um, in just a moment, I'll be giving some instruction and in going through this, and I think this will help. If you don't have a pen, I think we have some pens. I don't know if we have enough, but you know, I've got, I've got the questions. There's 10 questions, and then I've got 1 through 10 over to the right, and I want you to grade yourself 1 through 10 on these things, 10 being the best And if you don't have a pen, you can sit there and poke a hole in that number or something so that you can do this. So you don't have to necessarily have a pen to be able to take this. It would help. And let me give a little bit of instruction before we get right into this. Now, I want you to be brutally honest. This is just for you. You aren't going to turn this test in. You're going to keep it. So, this is just for you. It's to help you think about some things. I really felt inspired to do this this morning. And I think that this is going to help you to see some things and it'll help you to receive from me as I go through teaching. So, I want you to be brutally honest. You know, I took this test and I made 88 on my own test. And that was really being generous. I could have been more critical. Uh, I think I still would have passed. But um, I want you to be honest because this is for your benefit to help bring some things out in the open. And so I want you to be honest as you go through this. And I would like to give you just a little bit of explanation as we go through each one of these questions. So, what I did, I went through and I took this test, and I had uh, four eights, four nines, and two tens. And so what you do, 4 times 8 is 32, 4 times 9 is 36, 2 times 10 is 20, and you just add those up, and that will give you your score. It's real simple. There's 10 questions. So if you, have, uh, if you have 10 ones, then you made 10 on this test. Amen. It's real simple. It's not real difficult. But uh, I think it's important for you to evaluate. Sometimes people... Don't honestly evaluate where they are, and this will help you. So here, so let's start through this, and here's some of the things I want to preface this with. If you've heard me minister before, in our spirit, you're all tens. In the spirit, you're perfect in every single thing that we're going to be talking about. But I'm not talking about your spirit right now. I'm wanting you to talk about how it's gotten out of your spirit and how it's working in your life how you function on a daily basis, okay? So, don't give me one of these spiritual answers where every one of you are perfect. In your spirit, you're perfect, but in your flesh, you aren't. Amen? So, be honest with this. So, I've broken it into four categories because the Scripture, when it uses the term salvation, it's talking primarily about forgiveness of sins, healing, deliverance, and prosperity, Jesus died for all of those areas. And so I'm just wanting you to evaluate on the left-hand side is what Jesus did for you. And I've broken it into these four categories and I've got a few questions under each one. On the right-hand side are these numbers and I want you to evaluate how what Jesus did for you, how it's manifesting in your body. Okay? Y'all following this? Alright, so the first one under number one. Under forgiveness of sin's righteousness, this means right standing with God. How do you perceive your righteousness? In the Spirit you're perfect, but in in practice. How do you walk with the Lord in righteousness? Do you believe that He's pleased with you? Are you in right standing with God? Evaluate yourself. And I actually gave myself an aid on this. I'm not trying to get you to do what I'm doing, but I'm just saying that I know that in the Spirit I'm perfect. But you know what? I still deal sometimes with feelings of unworthiness and that I'm not who I'm supposed to be. And it affects me more than it should. Okay? The next one is no condemnation. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. But you know what? I still deal with feelings of condemnation. Even though I know intellectually that the Word of God has forgiven me and that I should have no condemnation, there are times that I'm tough on myself and I condemn myself. Amen? Anybody else do that? You know, I was visiting with Jim Ertle, and I really believe that this is kind of a default. It's like all of us were programmed to feel Condemned. And you may know that God has forgiven you, and it may be information that you have, but how many people walk in that? This is to evaluate how you walk in this righteousness and no condemnation. And then peace. If you're justified by faith, the effect of that should be peace. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. How many of you really walk in peace, or is your life in turmoil? If you have no peace, you're one. If you walk in peace and, man, just your life is just peaceful and regardless of what happens, you can maintain your peace, that would be a 10. Then with healing, all of us know that by His stripes we were healed. Psalms 103, He heals all of our sickness and all of our diseases. There's a lot of people that know that, but let me just ask you to be honest. Where do you stand in appropriating that and walking in the healing power of God? I meet Christians all of the time who can quote you the scriptures, and yet they aren't walking in healing. I mean, if anybody gets sick. You know, I just got an email from a woman. And uh, she was, I think it was from South Africa. I forget where it was, but she was someplace where I was, and I gave an invitation for healing, and she was appalled. she She says, something is seriously wrong with the body of Christ. Eighty percent of the people were up there for healing. And she says there was, people were she says there was more sickness in this meeting with Christians than there is among unbelievers. Something's wrong with this picture. If Jesus died to purchase healing, how are you walking in it and then what i 've written here as an expected end jeremiah twenty nine eleven in the King James it says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you says the Lord thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end some translations say a hope and a future, and those are great, but I really like this expected in. Because you know what that means? Is that if you are serving the Lord and walking in the Word of God, you don't have to wonder, when I get old, am I going to be decrepit? Am I going to be blind? Am I going to lose my hearing? Am I going to be one of these that I have incontinence and I can't do this? And... You know what? You can have an expected end. Moses didn't have as good a covenant as what we've got, and yet he was 120 years old, and his eyesight wasn't dim, nor his natural force abated. So how are you believing and projecting for your older age? Are you just already anticipating? Are you already talking about, well, I'm 40, I'm over the hill, and I... Where are you in this? Jesus purchased... Something for you that's better than what Moses had, and his natural force wasn't abated, nor his eyesight dim at 120 years old. Where are you in this process? Are you expecting and embracing and receiving the things that go along with old age? You need to rate yourself on that. Deliverance here—that this is a part of what the word salvation means. It means deliverance, and you're you're delivered from fear. In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25. It says, the fear of man brings a snare. Where are you in being afraid of people? Are you a people pleaser? Are you constrained by things? You know, Dave Hinton was talking about, we say, yes, 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 Lord. And then the Lord tells you to go witness and we're afraid of people and how they're going to perceive it. Where are you in the fear of man? Do you stand up at work? Do you stand for moral principles? Are you afraid of the rejection of people? And also it says in Luke 1, uh Zacharias was prophesying and he said, Jesus came to deliver us so that we could serve the Lord without fear. Man, fear is the opposite of faith. We aren't supposed to be fearing men. We aren't supposed to be fearing all of the things. When the terrorist strikes happen, there should have been a difference between the way a Christian responds and the way an unbeliever responds. When the flu comes around, are you afraid of the flu? Or do you stand there and say, man, I'm, I've got a covenant. I'm redeemed from that. There ought to, we ought to be free from fear. Uh, the next one is we need to be free from oppression and depression. And you know, when I was doing this today, I looked up the word depression and it's not used in the Bible. And I started doing some research on this and i am this is preliminary. I'm not sure that I can say this authoritatively, but everything I've... did you know the word depression is basically a new word? People didn't even talk about depression. And I looked up the synonyms for depression, and none of those are really biblical terms. Did you know that the way that we have embraced depression, and we're so in touch with our feelings and we're up and down, that didn't even exist a few generations ago. People were so busy just living and surviving. That they didn't have time to indulge their feelings. They just did what they had to do. Man, that'd preach. But evaluate yourself. How are you? Are you encouraged or discouraged? Are you always oppressed or depressed? Where do you rate yourself on this scale? And then deliverance from worry. Man, the scripture says we're supposed to cast all of our care over on the Lord. I saw a little cartoon one time where a guy was sitting up in bed and his eyes were bloodshot. You could tell he had insomnia. He couldn't sleep. And there was, you know how you draw these little uh, things from a person's mouth and you have their words up there? Well, from up above came a voice that says, My child, go ahead and sleep. I'll be up all night anyway. (laughs) I like that. And the Scripture says that, you know, the Lord takes care for us, and so we're supposed to cast our care over on Him. But how do you do with worrying? Are you worried about your finances? Are you worried about your family? Are you worried about your health? Are you worried about your marriage? Are you worried about your job? We're supposed to be free from worry. How's that working? And then in prosperity, it says, Oh, no man anything. Romans thirteen eight. You know, I had... Uh, in our personal life, Jamie and I have our our home, our cars, everything totally debt-free, half for years, and I could rate it a 10, but in the ministry, we still have some debt. Not a lot, but some, so anyway, I had to decrease that. I'm, I'm shooting for the place where I owe no man anything but to love one another. That's what Jesus provided, and I'm not totally there yet. Couldn't give myself a 10 on that one. And then, like I was teaching during the offering, the next one is you're supposed to be able to abound unto every good work. Are you able to give and be the blessing that you want to be? If you see somebody in need, do you respond by saying, Man, I wished I had something to help them with? You know, prosperity isn't defined by how much you have. True prosperity is design, designed, or defined by how much you give and how much you can bless others. And if there's things that you would like to help, if your church has a building program going on and you say, man, I'd like to be able to help them, but I can't, then you aren't prosperous. And I don't care if you live in a million-dollar home. If you see other people that are hurting and you wish that you could help them, but you can't, you aren't prosperous. And I don't care if you have a million dollars tied up in the stock market. Prosperity is not defined by what you have, but how much you can give. I could preach on that for a long time, but anyway, evaluate that, and you can figure out your own score. But here's the reason that I wanted you to do this. Again, if you would take, like, if you had four fives, just multiply four times five. That's twenty. Add up all of your others, multiply them, and you add those those together and you'll come up with where you rate on a scale of uh, up to 100. But here's my point for doing that. Look over here in Galatians chapter 5. And let me share a passage of Scripture with you that if you understand this, this this would be a radical thing if you can get hold of this during this conference. It could make a huge difference in your life. In Galatians chapter 5, the background of the book of Galatians... Paul ministered to these people. They got radically saved. They were operating in the liberty and in the freedom that was in Christ, but then some of the Jews came who said that Paul's message was incomplete, that you had to also be holy. You had to keep the law and unless you did certain things, which the main one that they dealt with was circumcision. And unless you were circumcised, God wouldn't answer your prayers. God wouldn't bless you. You couldn't even be a part of the kingdom of God. And boy, Paul ripped these people. This, in my opinion, is Paul's meanest or most blunt um, letter that he ever wrote to anybody. He, he basically skipped all of the introductions. And in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, he just started in on these people. I marvel that you are so soon removed from the faith that was delivered unto you. And then he says, if anybody, even an angel, preaches another gospel unto you than that which I have preached, let him be accursed. Man, that's strong. And if you look this word accursed up, if you look at it in some other translations, it means eternally damned. This is, this is probably the worst things that Paul ever said that are recorded in Scripture. And I'm sure people were just so shocked, like, he couldn't mean that, that he said it in the next verse. Again, I say unto you, If any man, even an angel from God, preaches another gospel unto you than that which you have not heard, let him be accursed. In other words, he knew that people were going to be shocked, thinking he couldn't mean what he said. So he just repeated it and says, I want you to know I meant exactly what I said. Paul would not compromise on this. You know, Paul's the same one who said, I became all things to all people so that I by all means could win some. Paul would become like a Jew to the Jews. He would become like a Gentile to the Gentiles. But boy, when it came to the truths of the gospel, the basic things, these are things you cannot compromise on. And I mean, he refused to compromise on this. And he just... It's like in the book of Galatians. He takes the gloves off and just beats the people brutally like you. Matter of fact, in the third chapter, he says, you foolish Galatians. Some of the translations I read said, you foolish. Uh, You idiots is one translation. Another one is you stupid people. Who has bewitched you? You're deceived. I mean, Paul was just saying things to these people that were Amazing. So this is the background of all of it. He's made the case for standing in the grace of God and not slipping back into this performance-based relationship with God. And then in chapter 5, he starts off by saying, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You know, all of the words in there are really powerful. I'm going to come back to this probably if I can talk fast enough. In verse 2, he says, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Now, Paul himself was circumcised. He said that over in Philippians chapter 3 when he was giving all of his qualifications. So this isn't saying that you couldn't be circumcised. It's saying you can't put any faith in that. It's not your circumcision. Or today, circumcision isn't the thing that people uh, argue for. It's you've got to be holy. And you've got to do this and this and this. And they have a million different requirements. You've got to study the words. You've got to pray. You've got to pay your tithes. You can't dip or cuss or chew or go with those that do. You've got to do this and this and this. And God is going to answer your prayers based on your performance. That would be the equivalent of what Paul is talking about. It may not be talking about... Circumcision may not be the issue with you, but some churches, you've got to be water baptized in the name of Jesus or you can't have a relationship with God. Other churches, you've got to do different things. It's just, And whether it's a church or not, most of us have this intuitive standard that we have to live up to. We've made a promise that we're going to spend an hour a day praying or we're going to do this or this. And if you don't do it, well, then you just... It's not that you doubt that God could do something for you. You just don't believe He will do it because you aren't worthy. That's the same thing He's talking about. And if that's the attitude that you have, it says Christ shall profit you nothing. That is one strong statement. In verse 3, For I testify again to every man that is circumcised. And again, circumcision is not the issue. It's every man who is trusting in your own goodness and having to feel worthy that he is a debtor to do the whole law. And then in verse 4, here's the verse I just want to get to. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. And this is what prompted me to do this whole thing. I got to thinking about this is... Jesus is the greatest gift that God ever gave the human race. Without a doubt. Jesus is the greatest thing that's ever happened to a single person in here. If you don't know Jesus personally, then it doesn't matter what your accomplishments are. They're nothing. What good would it do you to gain the whole world and lose your own soul? It profits you nothing. Jesus is the focal point of everything, and yet you can completely make what Jesus did of no effect in your life. And most people would think, well, yeah, I I sinned, and I, I understand that. It didn't say that sin is what causes this. Sin can't make Christ of no effect. Jesus is bigger than any sin that you've ever committed. There is no sin that you have or ever can commit that would make Christ of no effect. He can overcome any sin. It doesn't matter what you've done. You know, there are some of you sitting right there tonight and you're thinking, well, you don't know what I've done. Jesus knows what you've done and there is no sin that is greater than Jesus'. Paul even said that he was the worst sinner of all. He even persecuted and killed Christians, and yet he says, Jesus, save me and use me as an example to those that would believe afterwards. If if Paul could be saved, then any of us can be saved. There is nothing, there is no sin in your life that can keep you from being saved, and there's also no sin in your life that will make Jesus withdraw from you or hold back. This says that what causes, you, what causes Christ to become of no effect is if you are justified by the law. And some of you think, well, I'm not under the law... Again, we use different terminology today, but this just means that if you are thinking that you have to live up to a standard and you have to be holy to a certain degree before God can answer your prayers or love you or use you, then you are under the law. And this is what makes Christ of no effect. So again, look at this little test that we took. And I don't know what your test score on was. And I don't know if you were honest or not. If you weren't honest, you ought to subtract 50 points from your score. So it depends whether you were honest and a lot of other things. But you know what, if if I, my suspicion would be my suspicion would be that there were some low scores if you were honest. Let me just go through a couple of things and point point this out. For instance, the very first thing, forgiveness of sin, understanding that you are in right standing with God. Did you know it says in Proverbs chapter 28 verse 1 that the wicked flee when there's no man without, but the righteous are bold as a lion. So just evaluate. Are you bold as a lion? Not only in spiritual things, but just in everything. Are you bold? Are you one of these people that's just afraid? You, you know, it's like when you bend over and you pet a dog. If every time you do that, it bites you. After a while, you just don't pet that dog very much. Amen? <laughs> or you, you just stay away from it. There are some of you that honestly avoid all kinds of situations because the truth is you do not know and fully understand and walk in the righteousness of God, believing that God is with you and that God's pleased with you. You are, your whole life is based on performance. And because you haven't performed well in some area, many of you don't ever exert yourself. You don't ever put yourself in a situation where you could fail because you're insecure. And you could, dis, you could discuss this in a lot of different ways, but uh, the way I would say is that, you know what, you don't understand righteousness. You don't understand who you are. You don't understand your position and your relationship to God. And that's what causes insecurity. I know many of you aren't agreeing with me on this and you're entitled to your opinion, but I'm not going to agree with you or we'd both be wrong. I'm telling you this is true. I was an introvert. You know, I could not have done this. Before Jesus showed these things to me, this would have been the worst thing in my entire life. I think, Arthur, weren't you, uh, what was it, dyslexic? And because of it, he had all kinds of insecurities in his life and stuff. I can tell you, this is absolutely impossible for me to do in the natural. And you know what set me free? Is when I understood who I was in Christ. And I'm going to say something. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I'll just drop this. And uh, I've got a teaching on self-centeredness, the root of all grief. If you don't believe it, go get that little booklet or tape and listen to it. And I guarantee you, it'll open up your eyes. But the root of all shyness and timidness and insecurity is just self-centered. You're thinking about yourself. You're afraid of the rejection of people. Some of you think, well, no, it's my personality and this is the way that I was made. God never made an introvert. God never made an insecure person. That's a part of your acquired Uh, personality. It's things that can change. I'm living proof of it. And it's because you don't understand who you are. When I found out that God Almighty loved me, and I mean I knew, it wasn't just something that I had heard or theory, but I experienced God's love. I was caught up in the presence of God for four and a half months. I know that God loves me. And once I knew that, and once I became aware of my right standing, my righteous position in the Lord, I lost my fear of man. I I still deal with it to a degree, but I'm saying 90-something percent of my fear of man was just gone because if God Almighty loved me, who gives a rip about anybody else? And there are some of you that are insecure because you've been rejected and criticized. Some of it justly. But you're insecure and the reason you don't exert yourself, the reason you don't try and become the CEO of the company is because you're just afraid that you can't do it. You're insecure. And you know, the antidote for that is righteousness. The righteous are bold as a lion. And once I found out who I was in Christ and that God was on my side, it's still true that I'm not supposed to try and do everything. Not everything that's good is God. I need to limit myself to what God wants me to do. But I'm saying if I feel that God wants me to do it, I'd go do anything. And some of you think, well, it's easier to say. But you know, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but we've just bought a piece of property and I've got to have at least 30 million or 40 million dollars to develop it. Plus, we've been believing to go on TBN, which we just got accepted last week. We will be starting a daily broadcast on TBN. And the airtime for TBN, plus the employees I'll have to hire to do this, plus the materials we'll send out free, which over 50% of the people that contact us don't send a thing. And we send them all the materials free. By the time you figure all this up, I'm going to have to add $400,000 per month to my expenses February the 7th, which is just a short period of time from now. And so I've got this half a million dollars that I need per month increase plus $30 million minimum, maybe $40 million in the next two years. And all of these things collided to make the perfect blessing. Yes. Amen. And I can just guarantee you this, I couldn't have done this back in the beginning. But now that I know my right standing with God and I believe that God has led me in all of this, I believe I can do what God calls me to do. And I'm in the process of living it and walking it out. So you can sit there and disagree with me and say, it's easier to preach than it is to live, but I'm walking it out too. It's not just theory with me. And there are some of you that you have opportunities and yet you're afraid to step out because you don't understand righteousness. That's what I mean when I'm talking about when the righteous are bold as a lion. When you understand who you are in Christ, it changes everything. Nobody can manipulate you. Nobody can intimidate you. Because, I mean, if God Almighty loves me, it just doesn't matter that much what you think. I've had people come to me and read me out and do things, and I've stopped them right in the middle, and I said, hey, wait, uh, who died and made you God? <laughs> and I've had people stop them and say, what do you mean? I said, you know what, I don't know who you are. Why do I care what you think? Oh, well, you're supposed to care, and, and they start, and I say, you know what, compared to God, you're nothing. <laughs> and that's not that I don't love other people and esteem them, but I'm saying that you know why many of us are intimidated and back off and do the things that we do is because you don't know who you are in Christ. You don't understand your righteous position with Him. And it and it comes back to this thing that you are not you aren't under grace. You're fallen from grace, but you're under law. You are thinking that your right standing with God is dependent upon how you act. And it's not. I couldn't tell you the number of churches I've been in. Any of these ministers, I can guarantee you, they have heard people pray and say, Oh, God, make me righteous. You get born again righteous. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24 says, Put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You don't grow into righteousness and holiness. You get born again righteous and holy in your spirit. Now, it's true that your actions may get more and more in line with God, but the truth is that in the Spirit, you are the righteousness of God the moment you are born again, and you aren't in the process of becoming righteous. You were born that way. And if you aren't enjoying the benefits of righteousness, it's not because you aren't worthy. In your spirit, you were created that way. It's just because you don't have a renewed mind. It's like the Scripture says, you aren't walking in grace... But you're under the law. You are under this mentality of thinking, I've got to do these things before God will be pleased with me. You know, most of us have somebody who nags us. Of course, it's not our wives. But there's always somebody. I mean, the devil has plenty of people out there that he can just send them across your path and he knows what your weakness is and somebody will criticize you over something. We have plenty of people criticizing us and if other people don't do it, most of us do a bang up job of doing it ourselves. Most people have been raised to be goal oriented and so you set all of these goals and you set goals that many times are way beyond you and we think that that's positive and motivating us and yet the scripture says in Proverbs 13 verse 12 I believe it is that hope deferred makes the heart sick. The moment you start setting goals and say, this is what I'm going to do. You know, a New Year's resolution. I'm going to lose 50 pounds or whatever. It can motivate you, yes, but you also were running a huge potential of disappointment and then condemnation when you fall short of that standard. And most of us have been taught that this is the way that we're supposed to motivate ourselves is to set all of these goals. And many of you in here have all kinds of goals that you have set that you have failed, that you've broken, and you may not consciously sit down and just evaluate yourself, but the truth is it's like you have a checklist and most of us are failing our own standards and you are bearing a constant sense of unworthiness which relates to that second question about condemnation. You just constantly are feeling unfit for use. God, I failed again. God, I promised I was going to spend more time with my wife. I promised I was going to remember her anniversary. I promised I was going to remember her birthday this year. I promised that I'm going to do this. And you just fail and fail. And whether you sit there and consciously think about it, you just embrace this sense of failure and this sense of, man, God, I'm just so far short. You're displeased with yourself. With many of us, We can't even blame it on the devil. I believe that sometimes the devil looks at the way we condemn ourselves and beat ourselves up, and he takes notes like, man, I never thought of that one. (laughs) He's probably been learning from us. With many of us, the devil could go on vacation and leave us alone. We're doing a wonderful job of destroying ourselves. And you know what? I'm not trying to criticize you because on this thing I think I scored myself as an eight. And I know these things I'm preaching. But you know what? Again, I have. it's like gravity. You can overcome gravity with the law of thrust and lift, aerodynamics. And you can fly. But did you know what? Gravity never ceases. It's always there. And you turn off those engines and see if gravity is still there. And you know what? I have to constantly, like it says here in the first part of this chapter, stand fast in the liberty. The word stand fast is talking about, it's an active word that you have to pursue this. You have to fight. You have to persevere. In other words, this isn't something that just works automatically. You have to stand fast in these truths. And there are times that sometimes I'll go to coasting. And I'm not seeking the Lord the way that I should. And I get to goofing off and doing stuff. And you know what? I, it's just like the moment you turn off the engine, gravity's there. The moment I quit building myself up and speaking to myself who I am in Christ and going back over the things of God, I have a tendency towards condemnation. I was talking to Jim today and, you know, we are just being honest. We both took this test before we came in here and we were talking about it and Jim was surprised and he says, you mean you deal with condemnation? I said, man, there's, I guarantee you I could be really, really hard on myself. I can sit there and condemn myself and think, man, I could have done better than that. I believe that most people do. And you know why that is? It says the reason Christ becomes of no effect. He provided righteousness for us and no condemnation. You know the reason that most people don't walk in that? Because you are seeking to be right with God through your own effort instead of recognizing that the relationship with God is 100% dependent upon what Jesus did for us and not what we do for Him. We aren't under grace, we're under law. That's what makes Christ of none effect. That's what makes righteousness of none effect. That's what makes no condemnation of none effect. And that we are walking in condemnation is because we aren't walking in the grace of God, we've fallen back into law. Many of us, when I talk about law, we're thinking about offering blood sacrifices and observing the Feast of Passovers and Feast of Tabernacles, and that's what we think of as law. But law is anything that you have to do to make God love you or accept you or be pleased with you. Anything that you have written down that you have to do this before God will accept you or bless you or use you or anoint you is law. Thank you for those two head shakes. Some of you are thinking about this, thinking about, but there are things I've got to do. There's lots of things we need to do, but it's for us. Living holy, studying the Word, and doing all of these things changes your heart towards God. But it doesn't change God's heart towards you. God loves you completely separate. I mean, there's not even a connection here. It is absolutely completely separate from your performance. Your worth in the eyes of God is not based on what you do. It is based on whether or not you've accepted Jesus. And if you accept Jesus, then all of His righteousness gets imputed unto your account. In the Spirit, you are as righteous and holy and pure as what Jesus is. And God is a Spirit, John four twenty four, And He looks at you in the Spirit. And God is pleased with you because of your holiness and righteousness that was given you through Christ, not through your performance. And I tell you, this is good for anybody. If there's women watching, if there's kids watching, and what other category there is, I can't think of any. This is good for anybody. But did you know what? Guys especially. Most guys define who they are by what they do. If you ask, you know, a guy, who are you? They're going to tell you pretty much, well, here's what I do for a living. This is what I do. And they define who they are by all of the things that they do. And even though those things are an indication and a reflection of who you are, what you do is not who you are. Man, that's that's a powerful piece of information right there. This is why so many ministers... Wind up committing adultery and stealing money and doing things? And it's because they get to thinking there's somebody because look what I've done. And they they don't have their own personal identity and relationship with the Lord and they get to basing it on performance. I tell you, it's not about what I do. It's like Jesus was talking to Mary and Martha. Martha was doing all of this stuff. And Martha got mad at Mary because all she was doing was sitting and listening to Jesus teach. And she says, Jesus, tell Mary that she has to help me serve and do all of these things. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are troubled about all of these things, but only one thing is needful. And Mary chose the good part, the better part that won't be taken away. You know what's important? It is important if you have guests over that you treat them right and do things, but that's not the heart of it. It's, it's relationship. God is more concerned about you and having relationship with you than He is about all of the things that you do. The Lord does not define you based on all of the things that you do. There are some of you that are super successful, and yet you're doing it. You're driving yourself trying to earn somebody's acceptance or trying to prove yourself to somebody who said you would never amount to anything or whatever, and in, the, in your heart, you aren't successful. You understand what I'm saying? There's some of you that may have trophies, and you may have lots of money, and you may have awards, and yet you're a mess. And there's some of you that have done everything wrong And yet, God doesn't see you as a mess because He looks on your heart. You need to, men especially, need to get rid of this mindset of it all being about what I do. The scripture says in many places, but one of them that's real clear is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3, and it says, If I give all of my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body to be burned. And yet, don't do it by love, motivated by God's kind of love, charity. It profits me nothing. The motive behind your action is more important than your action. If you're doing things motivated out of fear, out of rage, out of jealousy, out of all of these other things, it can undo as far as your benefit, you might be able to bless somebody else, but as far as your benefit, it undoes the good that you do if you do it with the wrong motive. And so it's a matter of the heart. It's all about relationship. Jesus died to make us righteous. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For He, God, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, that we, I mean, who knew no sin to be made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God. It's an exchange. It's a swap. We were sinners. Jesus was righteous. And yet God made Jesus to become a sinner so that we could become righteous. Jesus took all of our sin and gave us all of His righteousness. You are righteous through what Jesus did, not through what you do. And if you could ever understand that and quit basing your relationship with God on what you do and instead put faith in what Jesus did for you, you would find out that you would experience righteousness and all of the benefits that go with it. You would be bold as a lion. You would not be condemned. Amen? And you would have peace. Wasn't that the next one? Peace. Peace is a result of righteousness. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Romans chapter 14, I think it's verse 13, or 13, 14, somewhere around there. The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy. Understanding your right position with God and having peace. It says in Romans 5:1. Being therefore justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is a result of having a right relationship with God. And brothers, I'm not saying this to hurt anybody or criticize. I'm trying to open up our eyes because many of us are just thinking that, oh, you know, everybody's the same way that I am. Well, they may be. But that's not the way that God made it to be. Jesus produced peace. He says, My peace give I unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. If you were to diagram that sentence, you would have to say, You let not your heart be troubled. It's not up to God. There's some of you in here that just have no peace. You're worried and fretful about everything. And man, your whole life is in turmoil and you would not characterize yourself as a peaceful person. And yet you're praying and saying, oh God, please just give me peace. It says, you let not your heart be troubled. You're the one that has to appropriate this. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Peace is something that the Holy Spirit put on the inside of you. In your born-again spirit, you have perfect peace. Perfect peace. But you have to keep your mind stayed upon Him for that perfect peace to operate. Isaiah chapter 26. We just haven't let the peace of God rule in our heart. Instead, we're watching... If you're watching the news and reading all of the things that are going on in the world, you aren't going to have peace. And let me just add a little P.S. some of you. Amen to that. But you know what? If you're listening to all of the conservative talk show hosts, you aren't going to have peace. And that's not to say that there isn't a place for that because our news media isn't telling us the truth and we have to have an alternate source to be able to get some news from. But I guarantee you, they don't tell you the good stuff that's happening. They are majoring on everything bad and amplifying it and criticizing every single thing. I just read an email before I walked in here, and a woman was writing about how that she had been listening to all of the things that are happening in our nation and all of this, and she was so disturbed that she was getting angry. She was taking it out when she drove. She had this rage on the inside of her. She was taking it out on her family, people at work, and it had finally gotten so bad that she had gotten criticized for it and punished by some people at work and other things. And it just got so bad that finally she came to the end of herself and says, God, I'm sorry. I have let the things that are going on in this world just defeat me and depress me and make me angry. And she just fell on her face and repented and asked God to forgive her. Fell asleep praying. She woke up to my television program. And I was teaching on the wars over God's not mad at you. And she was telling me all of this to say that, man, that was the word that I needed, that God had forgiven me and accepted this. But, you know, I agree with her that if all you do is look at the way things are going in this world, I saw a bumper sticker that says, if you aren't angry or frustrated, you aren't paying attention. <laughs> and that's true. True. If you don't factor Jesus into it. If you're just looking at things in the natural and if what's going on in our world isn't bothering you, you aren't paying attention. Something's wrong with you because the world is going to hell. The world is moving in a bad direction. Things are getting worse. They aren't getting better. And you know what? If that's what you're doing, there is no peace in this world. Man, there's just mayhem. There's terrible things going on. The only way you can have peace, Isaiah 26, 3, the Lord will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusts in him. If you don't have peace, it's because your mind isn't focused on God. You aren't truly seeking God. You're too plugged into the world and you are trying to perform and get everything from God based on your performance. And if you are basing God's uh, move in your life Based on your performance, there will be no peace. Even if you do great today, if you fasted today, if you prayed today, and if everything was perfect today, there will be no peace because tomorrow is a new day and you could blow it tomorrow. There is no rest when you are the one that has to please God and make God move because of what you're doing. There is no peace. There's no rest to that. Man, I don't know if I'm getting this across to you, but these are important things that I'm saying. You know, I, don't, I didn't grade myself a number 10 on this piece. Or maybe I did. Maybe that's one of the ones I gave myself a 10 on. No, I gave myself a 9. You know, I haven't arrived, but I've left. But I can tell you, peace is one of the strong points in my life. And it comes back to all of these things that we're talking about. That I, It's like having a safety net under you. If you're walking on a high wire, you know what? If you have no safety net, there is no peace. But if you have a safety net, you may still be trying to perform and not fall, but you don't have the same fear, the same worry, the same concern and care because you know that if you fall, no big deal, you're going to be caught. When you know that God loves you and you have a revelation of righteousness and you know that there's no condemnation, that God is not going to judge you. He's not going to reject you. God is not mad at you. He's not even in a bad mood. And He's not ever going to get in a bad mood. When you truly understand that, it just gives you a sense of peace that you cannot get when you are trying to do everything to please God. Brothers, you are not going to be perfect. Some of you may have come here thinking that, man, I'm going to get straightened out and go out of here and praise God, I'm never going to have another mistake in my life. It's not going to happen. The only way we can get you perfect is to get you totally perfect repented and up to speed, walking in love, and then just kill you. And that's the only way you're going to leave this place and be perfect. You are going to fail. It doesn't mean that you have to go commit adultery. It doesn't mean you have to lie and steal. It doesn't mean you have to do dope. But you will fail to be the person that you're supposed to be. You can improve yourself. You can start getting on the winning side to where you have more victories than you have failures. But you are human, and you are not going to be perfect. And as long as you are basing everything on, I've got to do this perfectly, and I've got to please God, as long as you're a perfectionist mentality, you will have no peace. It only comes in understanding that God didn't choose you because you were worthy to be chosen. He said this many times in Scriptures. He says to the Israelites, He says, Don't think that I chose you because you were the biggest or the best. He says, you were nothing. He says, your father in, in Ur of the Chaldees was an idol worshiper. I didn't choose you because you deserved it. It says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Abraham found the grace of God. Abraham wasn't a perfect guy. Abraham was willing to let a pagan king take his wife and commit adultery with her. And he didn't do it once, he did it twice. Abraham did some, he had some serious things wrong with him. It's amazing how the Lord reveals all of these flaws of people, shows us that David committed adultery and murdered to cover up his adultery. And you go on and on. Noah got stoned drunk and was naked in his tent. And you go through all of the great leaders and God just reveals every wart, everything wrong with them. And yet somehow or another we think, well, you got to be perfect to have God use you. (laughs) God's never had anybody qualified working for him yet. God does not use you because you deserve to be used. He doesn't use you because you're usable. He uses you because He is love. And it's grace. See, this is what Paul was talking about. If you aren't receiving the effects of Christ in your life, if Christ has become of no effect in this area of righteousness and of no condemnation and of peace. It's because you are under the deception of thinking it's all based on how worthy you are and how holy you live, and that's the reason that Christ isn't what He purchased. And most of us know that we're supposed to be righteous. Most of us know that we're supposed to have no condemnation. Most of us know we're supposed to walk in peace. But if you were honest, I bet you not very many people came out very well on this. And you know why? It's because... We have been seeking to be justified by the law. We have been trying to earn God's favor. I can tell you that the, still the condemnation that I deal with is because I get to thinking, I could have done better. You know, I know that there's some of you in here that I, I hesitate in a sense to reveal all of these things, but maybe it'll encourage you. But you know what? I've been ministering. I minister at least 20 times a week. I minister a lot. And there's, I'd say the vast majority of times I leave and I think, man, I could have done better. And I'm dissatisfied. I've never been pleased with a message that I've preached yet. I've been more pleased with it than at other times. But you know what? I could always do it better. There's more than what I share. And there's people that get up and walk out. And you know what? I have a tendency to get condemned and thinking, God, I could have done better. I listen to somebody else who's really blessed. And you know what? It's not jealousy. It's just like, God, I want to do the best I can. I want to measure up to those standards. And I have a tendency to condemn myself. And praise God, I've at least come to the place where I realize that and start feeling condemnation. I know that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ and I'm able to reject it and I'm able to rise above it, but I'm saying that, you know what, that reason that still comes to pass is because we've had this performance-based relationship type thing grilled into us so much that it's just nearly like it's a part of your DNA. When you were a little kid... You came home and said, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and you did that, and then you say, now I've said my A B C's. tell me what you think of me. And they say, oh, you're wonderful, you're awesome. You got an A on your report card, they give you a present, they take you out, and they do something special. But if you get an F, what do they do? They don't say, oh, I'm so proud of you. You know, it's subtle. Sometimes it's not always said, but, but it came across loud and clear that when you do well, you're accepted. When you do badly, you are rejected and you're punished. And in the natural realm, I don't think that it's wrong necessarily to learn that because with people, this is the way it's going to go. You go out and rob a bank, there are consequences. And so there is a balance here. We do need to learn that there are consequences and that we do need to perform well if we want to do well and if we want things to go well. But when it comes to God, your relationship with God is not based on your performance. It says in Romans chapter 4, verse 4 or 5 there, it says God justifies the ungodly. God doesn't justify godly people. He only justifies the ungodly. Unless you humble yourself and admit your ungodliness, you cannot be justified, just as if I'd never sinned. You can't be cleansed from your sin until you humble yourself and recognize your unworthiness. As long as you're maintaining your goodness and thinking, oh God, I'm good enough and I know you're going to move in my life, God can't justify you. He only justifies the ungodly. God only moves among the people like the publican and the sinner. I mean, the publican and the Pharisee. The Pharisee says, Lord, I thank you, I'm not like other men. I fast twice in the week. I pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin. I thank you, I'm not like this old publican over here. Publican was a tax collector, a person who was treasonous to the Jewish nation, a thief. And God said that the, the publican didn't even lift his eyes up to heaven. He just bowed himself and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said the publican, the one who admitted that he was a sinner, was the one that was justified. And the holy person who fasted twice every week and paid tithes, even on the herbs that were growing in his garden, that guy wasn't justified. You know why? Christ was made of no effect unto him because he was trying to earn God's favor. Nobody can earn God's favor. You can't be good enough. God's standard is so far beyond your ability to live up to it, it's impossible for you to ever deserve God's love and favor. You can't do it. The only way you can ever accept God's favor is as a gift. And if you won't accept it as a gift, you can't earn it. Period. That's it. You know, we give our materials away. We encourage people to give, but we tell them we'll give them up to three CDs a week free of charge. And I remember this woman who wrote in, and she would heard me on radio, and she says, I want three free tapes. But she says, I, I mean, she said, I want three tapes, but I don't want them free. Nobody gives me anything free. I pay my way. And she'll, she said, give me a bill for these three tapes. And so we sent her the three free tapes. And we didn't send her a bill. And she waited a while, listened to the tapes, and then she wrote in and she says, the tapes were great, I appreciate it, but I asked for a bill. Nobody sent me a bill for those three tapes. And she says, I want three more tapes, but this time bill me for six. I didn't get billed for the first three. And so she explained that. We sent her three more tapes and didn't send her a bill. And finally she wrote in again and she says, I want three more tapes, and this time... I want you to bill me for nine tapes. And she says, unless you send me a bill, I'll never get anything from you again. Nobody is going to give me anything free. And they brought this to me. And you know what? I I, uh, made a tape and sent it to her. And I said, lady, you had not got enough money to pay for my tapes. My tapes are life changing. They're invaluable. I said, you can receive it as a gift or you can give me an offering if you want to, but you can't buy my tapes. And I said, you either accept them free or don't get them. And I don't remember whether she ever wrote into to us again or not. But man, if that's true about my tapes, how in the world could you pay for what Jesus did for you? How could you earn what Jesus did for you? A lack of understanding this has made some people who've done a lot of really bad things think, oh God, I could never measure up, I can never pay, and it's kept them from trying. And it's made other people who've done really good compared to me or compared to somebody else get arrogant and put their faith in themselves instead of putting their faith in God. Both of those extremes are wrong. Who wants to be the best sinner that ever got rejected? You might be better than I am, but none of us deserve the things of God. You need to humble yourself. And you need to recognize that it is our trust in ourself, the fact that we tie God's love, acceptance, blessing, anointing, use, to our performance that has made what Jesus did of none effect in your life. Or it's diminished the effect and that's it it's not your sin it's not the fact that you don't have talents and abilities it's not the fact that you're ugly or fat or whatever you know what it is it's the fact that you have limited God you won't let God love you you won't let God bless you you aren't believing Him because your own heart has condemned you and you don't feel worthy You need to recognize that you aren't worthy in yourself. But in Christ Jesus, you've been born again and you are now the righteousness of God. And you are righteous and clean and pure in His sight in the spirit man. And you have to stand fast in this liberty or you'll be entangled. That word entangled means like a net spread that you get your feet caught in. You'll fall back into this thing. You aren't going to hear one out of a thousand preachers say what I'm saying. Not very many preachers say this. Most of religion is putting everything on your back and telling you that you've got to perform and do certain things or God won't bless you. And about 100 out of 100 people outside of the church will tell you that everything is based on your performance. And they will condemn you. The world system doesn't operate by grace. It operates by performance. You could get a revelation of what I'm saying here and go back to your work on Monday and say, man, I heard this guy preach and I found out I'm righteous and, and it's not my goodness and my performance and so I just want you to know I may or may not show up for work. <laughs> I may or may not do the job because man, I God loves me regardless of my performance. See how they'll respond. You will be fired. Jesus deals with you by grace, but your boss doesn't, your wife doesn't, your kids don't, your neighbors won't. There is no other role model. And if you don't make a deliberate attempt to grab hold of this and stand fast and encourage yourself and learn how to minister this to yourself, I guarantee you, you'll lose it because there's very, very few voices out there. You know, I had one man come up to me tonight and say, I'm the only person he will listen to. Well, now, that's not right because I'm going to introduce you to a bunch right here. We're going to have some powerful minutes, but there are few and you aren't going to hear this near often enough. Most people relate everything God is and has and can do to how holy you are. You know, Mike Hesch back here, the one that had the tumor on his chest, if you saw that testimony, that was the thing that was keeping his healing from happening. He knew it was God's will to heal him. He stood on it when other people would have taken another route and have gone and just gotten the thing cut off or something. He was standing and believing God. He knew it was God's will. But he was Christ was becoming of none effect in His healing because He thought He had to earn it. He had to do everything right. And that teaching set that He got, that's what freed Him up is that He already had it. God gave it to Him as a gift. And when He saw that, then Christ began to start having an effect in the healing in His life. And that's how He was healed. There are some of you that may have come here thinking that you know God can do miracles and that God can heal. And you've come believing that I'm going to lay hands on you. And all that may sound good, but you know what's really going on? You don't believe God will do it for you because you are under the law. You're thinking it's all based on performance. You know you haven't done it all right. You know you should have been studying the Word more and you've been watching all the football games. You should have been doing this and that, and you hadn't done it. And so you don't have any confidence in yourself. And you're thinking that, well, Andrew, God will hear his prayer. You know what? If that's the way that you're thinking, then it won't work. Because Christ will become a none effect, because you are still under this law mentality. God loves you just as much as he loves me. There is zero difference. And some of you think, oh, you don't know what I've done. Well, then you don't know what Jesus has done. Jesus loves you every bit as much as He loves me. The only difference between you and me is that I've been renewing my mind and I may believe it stronger than you do. And because of that, I might allow the power of God to flow through me in a way that some of you want. And so, yes, we do pray one for another. But the truth is, every one of you in here have the exact same things that I do. I do not have a gift of healing. I don't have a gift of miracles. And I feel like this needs to be explained because in the body of Christ, we have basically magnified these people that do have anointings. There are some people who are anointed in the area of healing and they have a supernatural anointing that makes it easier for other people to get healed. I'm not one of those guys. My anointing is teaching. And yet I see a lot of miracles. You know why? Because I help get people out of thinking that they're unworthy and that God won't heal them. And I help your faith work, but I don't have a special anointing for healing. Some of you, man, you just don't know what I've done. If you knew me as well as you know you, you wouldn't have any more faith in my prayers than you got in your prayers. I hadn't done some of the things that, you know, that are considered really bad, but I mean, again, if you keep the whole law, James 2.10, and offend in one point, you become guilty of all. I haven't raped and murdered and plundered and done all of that, but you know what? I am not what I should be. I fail, and I guarantee you I don't get from God what I get because I deserve it. It's because I stand fast in the liberty that Christ gave me. It's because my faith is in Him and not in myself. And every one of you can do that. That's what I'm going to be ministering on all week long. This is what I'm going to be talking about. And I tell you, if you can abide this and open up your heart, I think this is going to help you. And praise God, after a little bit of time of taking these truths and applying it to your life, I believe you'd make a better score on this test. Amen? Praise God. I think it's going to make a big difference. You know, if there's anybody here tonight who doesn't know Jesus, I don't want to take for granted that every person is born again just because you're here. You may have come with somebody or who knows. You know, we had a, this is a great testimony, but we had a a young man call in this week to our phone center and Clarence, one of the prayer ministers, answered it and talked to this guy for an hour and 20 minutes on the phone. And it turns out he was a Satanist. And why he called us, I don't know. But he called and Clarence got to talking to him and this guy was just so confused. Clarence answered his questions, wound up praying with him to get born again. He prayed and got born again and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. He was going to be ordained this Sunday to be a Satanist high priest. He had been in the Satanist church and been promoted and this Sunday he was going to be ordained to be a Satanist high priest. And he got born again, baptized in the Holy Ghost. And while Clarence was praying with him, he says, there's a man standing over in the corner who's shining. And uh, Clarence says, well, that's Jesus. (laughs) It was awesome. So I don't know why Satan, this priest, called us, but I'm glad he did. There may be some of you here that I don't know why you would come here if you weren't already born again. But you know, there's a lot of people who think that they're saved just because they go to church or they try and be good. But maybe, as you've been here tonight, you recognize, you know what, my faith really isn't in a Savior. I've never been changed. And everything I've said tonight is based on you becoming a new person in Christ. When you get born again, you get changed on the spirit level, and you become a new person. If that's never happened to you, you need to be born again. It's not joining a church. It's not just being moral. It's not just trying to live up to a code. It's all about Jesus became sin, took all of your sin, and He gives you righteousness as a gift. And when that happens, it changes your life. And it's, it, the Scripture says you know that you've passed from death unto life. If somebody in here don't have that assurance, you need to be born again. And then after you get born again, Jesus told his disciples, he says, Don't go anywhere, don't tell anybody, don't do anything until you receive power from on high. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, he anoints you with gifts. You can do things that you can't do in yourself. He will give you supernatural ability. And there's a lot of things that happen. One of them is you pray in tongues, which some people think, man, I don't understand that. I've got a book I'll give you that will answer those questions. But one of the things that the Holy Spirit does, He brings back to your remembrance what Jesus spoke to you and He leads you into all truth and teaches you about Jesus. You cannot understand and retain what I've talked about tonight without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You'll lose it. It says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, that the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. You can't understand the things of God with just your brain. The Word is written to your heart. The Holy Spirit inspired it. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive the person who wrote the Word. And He will interpret it to you and explain it to you. And you will begin to start having revelation knowledge. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you will not be able to walk in what we've talked about. You will go back to a performance-based relationship with God. So you need to receive salvation and you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in this gift of speaking in tongues. Is there anybody in here tonight who needs one or both of those and you'd like me to pray with you. First of all, let me say this. Somebody might say, well, I believe I've got the Holy Spirit, but I don't speak in tongues. I believe it's possible to have the Holy Spirit and not speak in tongues. I did. I received the Holy Spirit before I spoke in tongues because I was a Baptist. And I was told that that was of the devil. And I wanted the Holy Spirit, but I didn't want anything to do with these demon tongues. And... I didn't speak in tongues for a period of time. But I tell you, finally I learned and I renewed my mind. And when I started speaking in tongues, it's like I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit all over again. And I can promise you, it is an important part of it. It's like a pair of tennis shoes. When you get them, they all come with tongues. If you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God will give you the ability to speak in tongues. Somebody says, well, do I have to? No, you get to. It's a privilege. Why wouldn't you want something? Somebody's, well, I don't understand what that's all about. i got a book that will explain it. I'm not going to preach another hour and explain it. But I'm telling you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues is powerful. Somebody's thinking, so are you saying that if I don't have the Holy Ghost, I won't go to heaven? No, that's not what I'm saying. You can still go to... the Heaven without the Holy Spirit and you can get there quicker without the Holy Spirit because you aren't going to have any power. Something will kill you along the way. You can still go to heaven without the Holy Spirit but why would you want to? Man, the Holy Spirit is powerful and you need it. Somebody might be thinking, I didn't know you were one of those guys. You just stand there, sit there. You don't scream and spit and yell. I didn't know I was getting into one of those meetings. Well, we got you now, amen. And you know what? They will talk about you for coming here, so you might as well get something. You're going to be criticized. Get something for the effort, amen. Man, you need this. How many of you in here already have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking tongues? Would you recommend it? Amen. Amen. So you're in the minority. If you would like to join the majority and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'd like you to raise your hand so that I can pray with you and you could receive here tonight. Just be bold and raise your hand. Praise the Lord. Awesome. Praise God. Man, that's great. Amen. If you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat and come forward and we're going to pray with you right here and help you to receive. Thank you Jesus. Just come stand right down here. And if you would, don't stand behind each other, but stand beside each other because I'm going to have students come up here and lay hands on you and it'll help them to be able to minister to you better. So stand side by side instead of behind and spread out across the front, and we're going to have other people come and help minister to you. Isn't this great? I tell you what, guys, this is going to change your life. My life changed more when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit outwardly than when I got born again. Now, getting born again is absolutely essential. I'm not minimizing it, but I'm saying it's inward. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit releases and draws out this power that God put in you at salvation. And I believe you're going to change dramatically. You're going to go back and your wives are going to say, what happened to you? Not because you're preaching, Adam, but because now it's... The Bible said one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in Romans chapter 5 verse 5, it says that the love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit which is given unto you. I tell you, the love of God for you personally and then the love of God through you to other people is going to make a huge difference in your life. I believe that this is going to change things. Amen? Praise God. Anybody else? Still got some people coming up here. You know, this is a real simple question. Do you speak in tongues? If you don't, you ought to be up here. It's really that simple. Anybody else? Somebody's probably saying, well, I don't speak in tongues, but I don't understand it all. I don't understand it all either, and I still speak in tongues. You don't have to understand it all to speak in tongues. And I know you got questions. We aren't going to force you to do anything. Nobody up here is going to hit you on the back and tell you to do something. We're just going to pray with you, and if you're ready, you can speak in tongues right now. If not, we're going to give you a book and pray for you, and praise God, you can go home and receive the truth and speak in tongues when you get ready. But if you don't speak in tongues, you ought to be up here. Somebody's thinking, well, what if I go up there and nothing happens? Well, if you don't come up here, nothing's going to happen. (laughs) you got nothing to lose. you got everything to gain. I'm going to give you a free book. What a deal. Man, there's no reason not to be up here. If you don't speak in tongues, you should be up here. Anybody else? Okay, before I can pray for, for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Scripture says that Jesus is the one who gives the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you have to receive Jesus Before you receive the gift, you must be born again first. So is there anybody here who's not absolutely certain? There's a lot of people that are just assuming, well, I'm a good person, I've tried, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, isn't that enough? The Bible says in James chapter 2 verse 19, you believe that there's one God, you do well. The devils also believe and tremble. Man, that's a very sarcastic statement, saying if you believe that Jesus is God, you hadn't done anything that the devil hasn't done. The one thing you have to do is not just believe that He exists and that He was the Son of God, but you have to make Him your Lord. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. That doesn't mean you're going to say, I'll never make another mistake because you can't fulfill that, but you are saying, I'm turning my life over. I want you to be Lord doesn't mean you'll do it perfectly, but you want Him to take absolute control. You want to make Him your Lord. And if you will do that, then you'll be born again. Is there anybody here who's not done that and you need to first of all pray and make Jesus your Lord? Anybody? If that's you, you need to raise your hand. Raise it so I can see it. Anybody? If you aren't sure, that's fine. We'll pray and make sure. Here's three guys. Anybody else? Here's another one. Man, this is important. Here's another one. You can't get. Here's a couple more. You cannot receive the Holy Spirit. This won't work until you receive Jesus. So you can't receive the Holy Spirit. You can't speak in tongues until you receive Jesus. So this is imperative. Everything else is based on this. So this is about six or seven people. Anybody else? Anybody else? You got to make sure. Praise God. What I'm going to do, I'm going to lead you guys in a prayer. And I'm going to base it on that scripture that I was quoting about. If you make Jesus your Lord and believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's that simple. Jesus has already done it. Now it's just a matter, you don't have to ask Him to do anything. He's already done His part. It's all about you receiving. It's all about you making Jesus your Lord and then believing that He's forgiven you. And when you do that, the Bible says you shall be saved. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer and I'm going to say the things that you need to say and I'd like to ask everybody in here to help, help us by repeating this. And if you will say these words, it's not magic. It's not like you just say the words and you're instantly saved. It says you have to believe it in your heart. But if you will say these words and believe it in your heart, then you'll be born again. You'll become a brand new person. Isn't that awesome? Amen. man, Just say this. Say, Father, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. I Jesus died to forgive my sins. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive. That you now live in me. I am saved. I am, saved. I am forgiven. I am forgiven. Right now. right now. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You believe that? Awesome. You believe that? Isn't that great? You know, if you meant that, then according to the scripture, you just became a totally new person on the inside. You may still look the same on the outside, but on the inside, you are brand new. And the Bible says that when you get born again, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So now, every person up here has prayed and made Jesus their Lord and according to Scripture, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What that means is, when you got born again, God created you to be a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. So this is what you were made for. There's no way that God is going to fail to give any of you the Holy Spirit because you were created to be His temple. He wants you to have the Holy Spirit more than you want to have Him. So we aren't going to have to beg And plead. Some people will teach that you got to get rid of all sin in your life. That goes against everything that I taught tonight. It's not based on your performance. If you have sin and problems in your life, instead of disqualifying you, that qualifies you. Because you need the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Amen. You need His power. So don't let some sense of unworthiness or performance-based thing keep you from feeling like God's going to give you the Holy Spirit. He wants to give you His power. So all we're going to do is just pray and open up the doors of this temple and welcome Him in. And then I'd like to ask our Bible college students to come up here, and we're going to have people stand behind you and lay hands on you, because the Bible says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit is given. You can actually release the Holy Spirit through hands. It's like when your car battery goes dead. You pull another car up, and you put on those jumper cables, and you transmit that power. These are our jumper cables. Hey, man, we're going to lay hands on you and release this power of the Holy Spirit into your life. And then I'm going to lead you in a prayer where we ask and receive the Holy Spirit. They're going to lay hands on you. And then when we get through, I want you to start thanking God for giving you the Holy Spirit. Don't ask anymore. There's a time to ask and then there's a time to believe. And so we're going to ask, they're going to lay hands on you, we're going to believe, and I want you to start thanking God that He gave you the Holy Spirit. I don't care what you feel like. Sometimes people have great feelings. When I received the Holy Spirit, I didn't feel a thing, but I got Him. And so we're going to ask, they're going to lay hands on you, and then we're just going to, by faith, start thanking God that He gave you the Holy Spirit. And at that time, then I want you to lift your hands like when somebody sticks a gun in your back. Because when they do that, you mean I surrender, I yield. This is your way of surrendering and yielding. And we're going to lift our hands, and I want you to start thanking God. The Bible says that when you lift up your hands, you bless the Lord. This blesses God. It's a sign of surrender. So we're going to ask. They're going to lay hands on. You're going to lift your hands. Start thanking God that He gave you the Holy Spirit. Do it out loud. And then those of us that know how to pray in tongues are going to pray in tongues because the Bible says that when you're praying in tongues, you're giving thanks well unto God. So we're going to start thanking God in our heavenly language. And when we do, we want you to switch from praying in English and start praying in tongues and thanking Him in a new language. It's really that simple. I know you have a lot of questions. I'm going to give you this book that will answer them. But here's here's the number one problem that I had and that other people have. And that is that they think that the Holy Spirit's going to take your mouth and make it talk. Kind of like when you throw up. You just can't stop it. Put your hand over your mouth, do whatever, and it's going to come out anyway. That's not how speaking in tongues is. It's very similar to when I taught tonight. I believe that God spoke through me. But... He didn't force me to talk. That's the reason it came out in my personality. It's the reason it came out in Texan. It was me that spoke, but it was the Holy Spirit that inspired it. That's the way speaking in tongues is. You have to speak. You have to start making sounds. And by faith, believe that the Holy Spirit is inspiring it. And at first, most people are listening to themselves so much, it doesn't sound really good. It's kind of like a baby when they first talk. It's all. It, it may not sound like much, but you know what? Just like a father, when he hears that little baby go, Dad, Dad, boy, he knows exactly what they're trying to say, and he's pleased with it. You may not feel like it's really a great language or whatever, but you're trying to communicate. Your Heavenly Father understands, and the moment you quit worrying about it, And you quit thinking about it and you put your mind on the Lord, you'll find out it just flows out of you. It's not really you, it's you speaking, but it's the Holy Spirit inspiring it. And anyway, this book will explain it in more detail. But if you're ready, you can pray in tongues with us tonight. Isn't that a good deal? And this will change your life. Amen? Everybody understand what we're going to do? The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer and I will, speak in tongues. I will speak in tongues. Father, I thank you for all of these men. Thank you, Father, that every one of them now has prayed this prayer, and we believe that they are born again, and that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that you created us to fill with your Holy Spirit. And so we just open up the doors of our heart and say, Holy Spirit, come and fill us. Come give us power. Come give us this gift of speaking in tongues and all of the other gifts. Father, we want the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we open up our heart and welcome you in. We lay hands on you now in Jesus' name and release the Holy Spirit. We release the power of the Holy Spirit right now. And Father, I thank you that these men are being filled with your power. That power is coming upon them through the Holy Spirit right now in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Father. Praise the Lord. Awesome. Now let's lift your hands and go to thanking God. Thank Him that His word's true, that He gave you the Holy Spirit, and from this moment on you are God-possessed. You have the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit flowing in your life. Talk out loud. You can't talk with your mouth closed. Talk out loud. Now, those of you that speak in tongues, let's start praying in tongues right now and thanking God. And I want you to switch from praying in English to speaking in tongues. You have to speak and believe that the Holy Spirit is inspiring it. Right now, just be bold. Talk. You got to open your mouth to speak in tongues. You can't talk in tongues and English at the same time. You're going to have to quit thanking Him in English and thank Him in tongues. There you go. Man, there's lots of them praying in tongues right now. That's the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says when you're praying in tongues, you're building yourself up on your most holy faith. Man, this is promoting you. You're bypassing the doubt and the unbelief that's in your brain. And you're talking out of your born-again spirit. It's awesome. Awesome. Just don't worry about it. Quit listening to yourself and go to worshiping God. Don't think about yourself. Think about how your father is listening to this that is minus all of your fear and your doubt. You're praying out of the spirit. He's pleased with it. You're communicating to him. It may not mean much to you, but he understands everything you're saying. Thank you, Jesus. Just be bold. Pray right now. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let me have your attention here for a minute. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Many of you are praying in tongues, but you know, whether you spoke in tongues or not, I believe God gave you the Holy Spirit because He said He would. When I first prayed and asked the Lord to give me the Holy Spirit, it took me three and a half years to speak in tongues. But that's because I was a Baptist. And I had so many wrong ideas, and I had fear about this being of the devil or what was going to happen. And it kept me. The Holy Spirit will not force you to speak in tongues. But I finally got into the Word. I found out all of these things. And I don't think anybody's ever had more trouble speaking in tongues than I did. But God answered my questions and now I speak in tongues a lot. So what I'm saying is, I believe that even if you didn't speak in tongues, that whatever it is that's hindering you, this book will deal with that and answer it. And this book also talks about what true salvation is. So for those of you who pray to receive Jesus, it will explain what all of that is. And it's really, really important that you get a full understanding of salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that Satan can't steal this from you. What you've experienced here is more important than what any of you understand. I can guarantee it. I don't care even if you felt something awesome. It's bigger than what you felt. You need to understand this and get the full benefit of it. And so I want to give every single person hear a book and also we have some guys these are people that travel with me to my meetings and they deal with thousands of people that came and did just what you did and they will answer your questions they'll pray with you, they'll do anything to help you that they possibly can so this is Ashley right here, he's got his hand up with that book we're going to give you and if you'd follow him for just a minute he's going to take you over here to a room, give you a book if you need anything else they'll help you amen, just go with Ashley Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Isn't that great? Thank you, Jesus. I tell you what, this is going to change their lives. If this does half as much for you as it did for me, you're going to be stronger than horse fashion. Awesome. God bless y'all. We'll talk later. Praise the Lord. Also, there's a lot of people that came here needing prayer. If you need prayer, they've got people that will pray with you over there. It'll only take a moment and then you'll be free to come back. But you know, I'd like to ask some of our Bible college students to come up here. And again, I don't mind praying with you. That's not the deal. But I just can't pray with every person. And like I said, I don't have a special anointing. It's the truth that has set me free and has enabled my faith to work. And man, these Bible college students have been sitting under the Word four hours a day for a couple of years. They are chomping at the bits to lay hands on someone. Isn't that right? <laughs> this guy right here is a fanatic, amen. He can pray with you. So anyway, I'd like to ask some of our Bible college students to come up here and I'm going to offer them to you to help you help us pray for people. And again, I want to emphasize that some of you may think I'm the only one that can pray, but I just can't pray for every single person in here. But Jesus will flow through all of us. And uh, you can be healed through these people. Amen? So if you have a need and if you want someone to pray with you, I want to offer these students to you and ask you to come up here. And just believe that God is going to do a miracle in your life. If you need prayer right now, I want you to get up out of your seat and come forward. And we're going to let one of our Bible College students pray for you. The rest of you, if you'll wait just a minute, let these people get out into the aisles. And uh, we're going to stand here and pray. I'm going to agree. And so you're welcome to stay here and pray with us. Also remember that our CBC break room is to the right as you exit these doors. And if you will go down there, I think they have uh, some refreshments or something. They also have uh, some games. And main thing is just to fellowship with each other. And then we're going to have breakfast back here from 7 to 8 in the morning. And I think our service starts at 9 o'clock. 8.30, excuse me, 8.30 is when our service starts. And I encourage everybody to be back. We start on time. If you get here at 8.35, you're going to be late. So get here on time. Be early. Amen. Praise God. If you desire to go, you're free to go. You're free to stay and pray with us. But uh, praise God. You're blessed. Thank you, Jesus. Hey Gary, we got a guy standing over here that needs prayer, and nobody's. So uh, if you could help organize that, would be good. Father, we thank you that it is your will for every single person to be well. That Jesus has already paid for our healing. And, Father, we believe, like I was sharing tonight, that the only thing that makes Christ of no effect is our trust in ourself and our trying to earn and perform. Father, we come tonight believing that your word says that if we lay hands on the sick, they shall recover, that if two of us agree touching anything, it shall be done. So we are doing what your Word says, and we believe that it's coming to pass through what Jesus did, not through our goodness, not through our holiness. So we pray for all of these right now, and we thank you, Father, for miracles taking place. Miracles. Those of you that are still in here, listen for just a minute. There's there's people in here that have been struggling with you can't sleep. You just don't sleep good. God's healing you tonight. You're going to have supernatural sleep. If that's you, I want you to stand and raise your hands so I can see who this is. I believe God's healing you and you're going to sleep in supernatural tonight. Amen? I want you right now to believe that here's the healing power of God. Father, I release this word and say in the name of Jesus that this insomnia or pain or whatever it is, it keeps them from sleeping. We rebuke this. Satan, you loose them and let them go. Father, the scripture says it's vain to rise up early and to stay up late because you give your beloved sleep. Father, we believe that you are giving them sleep right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you that they lay down in peace and sleep because you make them dwell in safety. Thank you that fear is gone, that worry is gone, that torment of all kind is gone, oppression is gone. And we believe and just speak a supernatural rest over all of them. And Father, I thank you that it's healed now and their body is recovering. And that, Father, they're going to have a great night's sleep. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive this. Somebody, the reason you couldn't sleep is because you had pain, a lot of pain, and you just can't seem to sleep. Who's that? If that's you that had the pain, I want you to raise your hand so I can see who this is. I rebuke this pain right now in Jesus' name and command it to leave. And Father, I thank you that this pain stops, cease, desist right now in Jesus' name. Satan, you loose them. And whatever caused that pain, i loose the anointing of God to flow through their body and to bring healing back unto them in Jesus' mighty name. Father, we agree and we receive this healing now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Boy, that's the anointing of God setting you free. Father, we receive this. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. There's a number of people here that you've had problems in your shoulders. It's hard for you to raise your hands. It's painful or either you don't have freedom of movement. If that's you, I want you to stand and raise your hand. It may not feel good, but I want you to raise your hand. Here's the healing power of God. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I command these shoulders to be healed. Whatever's been damaged, any fusion in these bones, Father, I just release your anointing and command the miracle power of God to flow. Amen. Here's somebody that didn't have freedom of movement, painful. You can start moving your arms around. Feels good. You've been healed supernaturally. You've been told it can't be healed, but it can. Here's the healing power of God. You are healed in the name of Jesus. Who in here has already had the pain leave? Right here. Here's a Here's three, four, five, six, seven. Anybody else? Eight. Already had the pain leave. Nine. Nine. Here's a dozen people or so, and you know what? I believe all the rest of you have been healed. Sometimes it takes just a little bit of time, but you believe that you're healed right now. You expect to start moving and doing things that you couldn't do. Thank you, Jesus. Al, I believe you're healed. You got any pain? How do you feel? A lot better. You know why you feel a lot better? because you've been healed. I believe you're getting better and better and better. You're leaving this place completely well in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody's ears are being opened right now. I'm assuming that you have partial hearing or you couldn't hear this. We don't have an interpreter for the deaf. But if you've got a hearing loss, partial hearing loss or ringing in the ear, hearing problem, I want you to stand and raise your hand. Here's the healing power of God. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I release this power. And deafness, we command you to leave all of these men now. Leave and be gone now, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Now, Father, I lose your anointing, and I believe that your power and anointing is touching whatever was damaged in these ears. We command those nerves to come back alive, resurrect and work in the name of Jesus. We command the ringing to stop. We command distortion to stop. Father, I thank you that there is a complete range of sound, that none of the frequencies are lost. I just release the anointing of God. In ears you are healed. You can hear now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, oh, that's the anointing power of the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you that you are touching ears right now and that they are opening up. Now, Father, they are going home completely ill, normal. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We agree and we receive it in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Can anybody in here already tell a difference in your hearing? If that's you, I want you to wave at me so I can tell that you you, you already tell a difference. Anybody? Right back here. Here's three people. Anybody else? Four people right here. Man, praise God. Five over here. I believe every, here's six. Some of you, it's just coming gradually. You're having to check yourself out. Here's another one. Seven. I believe that every one of you, your hearing is healed, and from this time forth you recover. The Bible says, you lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I believe you're recovering from this time on in Jesus' name. Praise God. Father, we receive this. We receive these miracles. We receive the word of God. Thank you, Father, that this Word's going to make a difference in people's lives. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We agree and receive it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Looks like everybody who wants prayer is being prayed for or has already been prayed for. So I'll let you go. Remember, we'll be back in the morning. Also, there's time back here to visit and fellowship. You're dismissed.